Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Thursday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Welcome aboard. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Got basketball action tonight in Starkville as Mississippi State returns to the hardwood. Haydad will head over for that a little bit later this afternoon. Got college football on television tonight, NFL on TV tonight. Whole bunch to get to as we get set for a uh, big weekend of college football. Southern Miss on the road in San Antonio against UTSA. Ole Miss and Mississippi State both at home. Ole Miss hosting LSU at 6 on Saturday night. Mississippi State hosting Alabama at 11 on Saturday morning. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been doing that, financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Check out the website, find a branch location near you, grab the phone number, give them a call. If you're in North Mississippi, they can help. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land of the land. Ceasefire text line is open to you this afternoon. Got a thought on something that we are talking about? Got something you want to add to the conversation or just something you want to get off your chest? Shoot it to us. 601-879-4395. That is the Ceasefire text line. What's up guys? Hey Borky. Hey. Hello, hey dad. His responses keep getting briefer. I expect yeah, just a grunt. I, I don't know what it is. It's like Borky's forgotten that this is a uh, a, a verbal medium. Yeah, tomorrow. I don't know hey, if Borky, I'm the you one doing? you need to to call out on that regard, but okay. Well, your your response was even shorter than Rippy's. But okay. Hey, Dan, what's up? How much? It's cold. It's rainy. It's nasty out there today. Is it raining in Starkville? Well, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of rain, not a whole lot, just enough to make okay. you annoyed. I don't think we've had any rain today. A little gray, not nearly as cold as it has been. Going to be good for football this weekend, I think. I think we got good uh, good football weather coming up this weekend. Hey, Rippy. Okay, Borky, he just waved at me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you kind of earned that one. Yeah, I kind of felt that one coming. Uh, good to be with you this afternoon. We got a ton to get to. Uh, Aaron Suttles will join us from uh, Three Man Front and the Athletic covers Alabama. We'll talk some about the Crimson Tides matchup with Mississippi State on Saturday. Wilson Alexander from the Advocate and NOLA.com joins us to talk some Ole Miss and LSU. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports will join us in his regular time slot at 4:20 this afternoon. Mike Frazier, for the last time during this football season, joins us to wrap up the junior college football season. Uh, super good game last Saturday 
in uh, in Senatobia or Mississippi Gulf Coast won the MACJC state championship game and uh, will go on to try and play for a national championship this year. Basketball tonight, we talked some about potential transfer portal issues with Ole Miss yes, uh, yesterday. appears some of that has become official. Uh, who's more likely to win this weekend, Mississippi State against Alabama or Ole Miss against LSU? That question is uh, is out there. Uh, there is some new news in the James Wiseman story at Memphis. Uh, some teams are interested in Colin Kaepernick and are going to go maybe watch him work out in Atlanta on Saturday, and some yeah, just not interested at all. So a bunch to uh, a bunch to get to. Let's start for a second. Hey, Dad, with hoops. Well, what should we expect tonight in Starkville? I think probably a little bit more of the same as the Mississippi State team tries to continue to figure things out without Nick Weatherspoon for these next, I guess, seven games now. Um, the main thing I would be focused on outside of you know the main storylines is Tyson Carter has played, I think, 36 and 39 minutes, something like that, and, and Ben Howland addressed that. He said he's got to find a way to get him some time on the bench here and there, but he's been A, very crucial, and B, uh, the, the other two guards in that rotation, Iverson Molinar and DJ Stewart, had foul trouble in both games. So I'll be interested to see if Tyson can, can get a breather at any point. And I also want to see, can Reggie Perry have a good game start to finish? Now, hasn't done that yet. He's come on strong at the end of both games, but has not gotten off to a good start in either one of them. Mississippi State facing ULM. Um, yeah, let's be honest. I mean, going in, that's a game that you're supposed to win. It is on the SEC Network tonight. Tips off at 6 o'clock. If you want to watch it that way, you can do that. Certainly you can listen to it with uh, Neil Price and uh, Richard Williams. Some of the stations that you're listening to this show on will uh, have Mississippi State basketball tonight. Uh, what do we know about ULM? Sort of the similar uh, to, to all these other teams that are that are knocking off people. They, they have a lot of experience. I asked Ben Hallen about that uh, yesterday at Availability, and he said, you know, when you have teams that you know are just sort of coming together, you mentioned Kentucky specifically. So you know they, they got new kids every year, and a lot of these mid-major teams have experience, and that's what he said. ULM has; they have a good backcourt. They got some guys they trust to shoot the basketball. Again, it's a game State should win, but I will not be surprised, and neither should you, or neither should anybody listening, if State struggles and is trailing at any point in the game. They played at Texas A&M earlier this week and had a lead at halftime. I think we're up eight at the half. Texas A&M came back and won that game by six, relatively low scoring. I think sixty-three fifty-seven was the uh, was the final. Um, couple of wins on the season against Louisiana College. I don't know who that is or where they are. And then a one-point win against. Thank you. The uh, one-point win against Alcorn State beat them 73-72 before losing again by six on Monday night to uh, Texas A&M. So a uh, couple of uh, players, a couple of all-sunbelt preseason players to uh, watch on ULM's roster, J.D. Williams and Michael Ertel. Uh, those two guys have combined for about sixty percent or so of the scoring so far this year for uh, ULM. So those are a couple of guys to watch. Um, let's go back to post practice interviews yesterday with uh, with Ole Miss. Rippy, what was the uh, what was the news? We talked yesterday about transfer portal with a couple of receivers. Is that now official? Yeah, Miles Battle and Demarcus Gregory are both no longer practicing with the team and likely to enter the transfer portal. Um, I mean, it's two interesting guys. If like you're trying to connect it to like a larger trend of them struggling for the last, you know, 
mean, really most of the year in the passing game because it was two guys that weren't really playing much anyway. So I, I, I it, it'll be interesting to see if it's really directly indicative of them struggling to pass the ball or if it was mostly a playing time issue. Matt Luke seemed to think it was a playing time issue. But definitely not good optically no matter what given kind of the product they're putting out on the field offensively right now and the position those guys play as far as leaving. But, like, I don't know. People see in my if my social media mentions were any uh, indicator, people seem very upset with it and, like, blaming it on the offense. And I think there's probably something to that, but I don't know if it's that direct. Because, again, like, there's probably a reason those guys were not playing, if you look at snap counts, because it's hard to look at catching catches and receptions because really no one other than Elijah Moore is making catches. In 10 games this year, Elijah Moore has 55 receptions for 672 yards and four touchdowns. The next two guys behind him aren't receivers. Jerion Ely is second. He is a running back with 16 catches. Octavius Cooley is third with 12 catches. He's a tight end. Then you've got Dontario Drummond, Jason Pellerin, who has really kind of played limited throughout the year, Jonathan Mingo, Braylon Sanders, who's dealt with injuries, has only eight catches on the year. That's mind-boggling. Well, given how, how many games has he played? He's played in six. He's averaging just a little over a catch per game. And really, it's like four because in two games he's left with injury. Yeah. He played less than a half against Memphis, but that counts as participating in a game. Right. Uh, Scotty Phillips, who has missed, or at least missed the last game, has eight catches on the year. Then you get to the guys that we're talking about. Uh, Demarcus Gregory, six catches for 127 yards. Now, when they connected with him... It was for pretty good numbers. He was averaging 21 yards per catch. And then Miles Battle, who has two catches on the year for 20 yards. These were highly thought of guys from a recruiting standpoint coming in. And so I certainly understand why people would be upset that they are leaving. But you you said optically looks bad. I, I get what you're saying there. Does it look bad when guys go into the transfer portal anymore because so many people are doing it, or is it just it looks bad when it happens in season? I don't even think it necessarily has much to do with either of that as it's they're struggling in the passing game and you have two guys that you were thought to be contributors at receiver going into the year, leaving before the season ends. So everyone wants to make a correlation that, yeah, it's because the passing game stinks and they're never recruiting a receiver again and all that stuff. And I'm not saying that some there isn't any truth to that, but at the same time, the guys that are playing the Drummond, the Mingo of the world kind of came in and seemed to establish themselves in front of them. And I know neither one of them have produced very much either. But, like, again, those They've guys been on the field more than Exactly. It's hard to gauge as far as receptions because no one is catching the ball and the passing game is struggling. So there's some truth to it, but like anything else, nuance gets lost on the Internet. James Wiseman, there is a new wrinkle in the story out of Memphis. Will it have an effect on Ole Miss? Ole Miss and Memphis are scheduled to play a week from Saturday. We'll talk about that next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. The tenor from the University of Memphis has changed pretty dramatically since earlier this week. And certainly since um, last Friday, when the entire James Wiseman story blew up. James Wiseman expected to be one of the top 
three to five picks in the draft could potentially be the number one draft pick, depending on how his season goes. He is seven feet and an inch tall. He is a really, really good basketball player. He's the guy, if you haven't been following this story, that was in Nashville and prior to his junior season moved to Memphis. Uh, it has been admitted that Penny Hardaway gave $11,500 to his mother to help with moving expenses. He was initially declared eligible back in May by the NCAA. Um, there's not been a lot of talk about this, but apparently the NCAA reached out to Memphis before their season opener and indicated that there could be some eligibility issues. There were a lot of questions leading up to the season because James Wiseman did not play because of an apparent injury when Memphis went to the Bahamas this summer, and then he didn't play in either of their exhibition games. But he did play in the season opener. It came out uh, big time last Friday uh, that the NCAA had told Memphis that he was likely ineligible. Uh, they... James Wiseman's people activated quickly. Uh, prominent attorneys from Memphis got involved. There was a temporary restraining order that was put in place to uh, overturn uh, apparent ineligibility issues. And he played last Friday night against Illinois Chicago. And then Memphis went to Portland and played Oregon on Tuesday night of this week. He played in that game. But now... James Wiseman, who was suing the NCAA and had also named the University of Memphis in that lawsuit, I think out of necessity, not because he was really trying to sue the school where he was attending, has withdrawn his lawsuit. The firm representing James Wiseman, Ballin, Ballin, and Fishman, as well as Faris, Faris, and Faris, issued a statement. Here's the statement, quote, it has become clear to Mr. Wiseman that the lawsuit he filed last week has become an impediment to the University of Memphis in its efforts to reach a fair and equitable resolution with the NCAA concerning his eligibility status. Therefore, Mr. Wiseman advised his legal team that he wished to withdraw his lawsuit. There will be no further comment at this time. End quote. University of Memphis subsequently declared Wiseman ineligible for competition and said that it will immediately apply for his reinstatement, according to a press release issued by the school. Pending that notification, Wiseman will be withheld from competition but will continue to practice with the team. The quote in the release from the university said, the university is confident that the NCAA will render a fair and equitable decision consistent with its mission. If the fair and equitable decision cannot be reached, Wiseman's motion to withdraw the lawsuit leaves the door open to potentially refile the lawsuit. All right, that sounds like a lot of legalese there, but it sounds to me like the NCAA has said to Memphis, if you're suing us, if James Wiseman is suing us, we have nothing to talk about. There will be no resolution to this situation while there is an active lawsuit pending against us by your player. That's me reading between the lines. I don't know if that's true or not. What do you guys think? Occam's razor tells you that that is what's going on. I mean, even the line in this story indicating a settlement could be in the works, uh, that's 
That's a bit of a stretch. It's more like the NCAA would say, fine, if you want to sue me, go ahead. Uh, that does not mean they're going to settle. It just means now that they're going to allow their own process to continue. I think you nailed it. And indicating that a settlement's coming, I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. It, because if you think this is similar to, and I've already seen this comparison, if you think this is similar to Chase Young where he'll get a handful of games and everybody will move on happy, I don't buy that for one second. Yeah, I agree with you, Borky, that, that this is going to be... We may have seen James Wiseman the last game. It may have already happened. Uh, and he, 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 next time we see him play, will probably be for an NBA team, if I had to guess. Just because this, I mean... You, you've got almost everything admitted to at this point. So I don't see how the NCAA is going to let this guy back on the court this year. At the same time, why would he drop the lawsuit if he feels there's no chance he's playing this year? Because maybe he feels there's no chance he's playing this year. I, I, I but think, then why would that be incentive to drop the lawsuit? Yeah, I, I think you drop the lawsuit because you think there's some sort of resolution that can be reached. And if a resolution is not reached in a pretty quick amount of time, then my guess is they will refile the lawsuit. The other way I would look at it and to answer Rippy's question is, it's possible the NCAA has told him, like, look, you're going to lose, and then the university is going to suffer, whereas you can just fade off, start getting ready for the NBA draft, and maybe common sense sort of prevailed. They're not going to win the lawsuit, so they might as well, maybe they just realized that it was pointless. I I guess, but he could do all of that without dropping the lawsuit. He could. The, those things could happen, but again, I think you drop the lawsuit, you you withdraw the lawsuit, in hopes that some sort of a resolution is reached. I guess the immediate question, though, at least that is relevant to where we are, where this isn't just a story that's floating around, is Memphis hosts Ole Miss in basketball in uh, eight days, nine days. On the the open date for football, so it's November the 23rd. They played Oregon earlier this week. They've got Alcorn State coming up on Saturday. They play Little Rock early next week. And then they play Ole Miss on November 23rd. Do you think James Wiseman plays in the game? And obviously, Borky and Haydad, from the way you answered the question, you don't. Rippy, do you think James Wiseman plays against Ole Miss on November 23rd? That seems a little soon. But, again, given the way they've behaved today, it would seem like there's leaving, holding out chance. There's a chance he plays again this season. But that would – like, it seems like the, this ends in some kind of suspension. Agreed. So that would be incredibly quick. So I would lead almost guaranteed no. I mean, he played in three games in – a time frame when the NCAA said he was ineligible. It's hard to imagine a scenario where he doesn't get at least a three-game suspension, like bare minimum. But even if they only give him a three-game suspension and they're basically using those three games to wipe out the three games that he played in, you don't deal with the issue that you were saying was making him ineligible, right? Right. And to me, that's what's hard to, to kind of wrap my mind around in this. If the NCAA deems that Penny Hardaway is a booster, and before he was the head coach at Memphis, which it would be even more illegal, I guess, 
I mean, I, I don't know how we gauge terms of legality. If he had given him $11,500 to move from Nashville to Memphis while the head coach in Memphis, we would be dealing with an even bigger issue. But we're talking about a booster giving him almost $12,000 or his family, whether he knew about it or not. How close is this to a Cam Newton issue? I mean, is, is that is that the argument that we're looking at here? Is that about one hundred and seventy thousand dollars away? Well, I understand that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think it's going to be the same. I think he'll miss games. No, what, Cam but but here's not. what I'm asking with regard to how close is it to a Cam Newton issue? The the reason Cam Newton allegedly was reinstated was that he never knew anything about whatever was going on. That it was his dad, right? That seems less likely here, doesn't it? Because they did move. Yeah, but that, that he didn't. I mean, you could make the argument that he didn't necessarily know that his mom was getting moving expense money from Penny Hardaway for them to move. That just seems less plausible to me. Than, and I'm not saying the Cecil Newton stuff was plausible, but that seems less plausible. It was not. <laughs> well, it's a defense that that can make sense, though. I mean, if North Carolina completely got off with, well, we offered these bogus classes to some regular students, too, to cover our tracks, therefore it's all good. If if that worked, well, then that this can work, too. Beyond the game against Ole Miss on November the 23rd, Memphis plays NC State in Brooklyn on November 28th. They play Bradley at home. They go to UAB, and they go to Knoxville to take on Tennessee. They beefed up the non-conference schedule pretty significantly this year at Memphis, obviously partially thinking that James Wiseman was going to be a part of it. Him not being there certainly could change the outlook for this Memphis team. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Um, let's talk a little bit about the matchups in Oxford and Starkville this weekend. Who is um, who's more likely to pull the upset? Both uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss are in the neighborhood of three touchdown underdogs. I've not looked at the most recent lines. They may have moved in the last uh, the last day or so. Looks like Alabama is an 18-point favorite. That opened at about three touchdowns. And Ole Miss uh, against LSU, you've got LSU as a 21-point favorite. So it has stayed pretty steady so far. More likely to pull an upset this weekend. One or the other? Either? Neither? Forget about it? Wasting our time? Is the answer Mississippi State? Because it sounds like Tua's not going to play. And Aaron will tell us later that he doesn't think that Tua is going to play. So just because of that reason, Mac Jones starting on the road would lead to a better opportunity for an upset. If Joe Burrow just shows up in Oxford considering Ole Miss's weaknesses, the secondary and that offense can I mean, run up and down the field on anybody, you would imagine that that's not a recipe for an upset in any way, even if they're hungover from that win last Saturday. So backup quarterback, you would think, early kickoff, better chance at winning the game. Or losing hey, the game, I guess. I hear what you're saying. And you're right on paper, 
all those things are true, but until I see a Joe Moorhead offense play a defense with a pulse and score more than, you know, ten points, I got trouble buying into that. I don't I think the answer is, is obviously neither. I don't think either cha- team has a, a snowball's chance in the devil's lair of uh of making it through this weekend with a win. But if I ha- I guess if I had to pick, I, w- I would pick state. But we're I mean it's it's minuscule versus none. And worth noting, this is not one of the weekends where Mississippi State's going to have its full complement of defensive players out there either. That is correct. Yeah, the, the, only uh, two more games of those suspensions, and then it'll be full go, go in the Egg Bowl. The counterpoint to that is Saban's numbers are coming off a loss are pretty absurd. Oh yeah, LSU missing three offensive linemen. If there's going to be a hangover, it's probably the team that hasn't been there before or been there in a while, coming off the biggest win in a decade. I don't know, but again. What are we talking about here? Sure. Um, all three offensive linemen starters for LSU? Two tackles and a guard that has been sort of kind of start. I mean, Sadiq Charles has got some kind of six-game suspension going on or something that Brody Miller mentioned on a podcast that's been low-key. Like, I guess when he's played, yes. Does that open up any opportunity for Benito Jones those three down linemen to have some success putting pressure on Joe Burrow? Sure, he might complete 74% of his passes. <laughs> State was able to get pressure on Joe Burrow. He still completed passes, but he, they got pressure on him. Another thing, Brody, we I dropped a podcast today with Brody Miller, and he was pointing out that against Mississippi State, LSU is very vanilla with their playbook, giving what they have looming on the schedule. Granted, they're not hiding this for or anything for Texas A&M or Arkansas, but a potential matchup with Georgia and beyond that, LSU might still try to. He gave, he alluded to the fact that LSU might be try to be very bland. Uh, I don't know how bland you can be ten games in the season, but you know, just try to get in, get out, not show a ton. Is there a scenario where Ole Miss's offense can put some points on the board on Saturday? No, the way Ole Miss is anywhere close to this game in the third quarter is if just Joe up. Burrow and the offense kind of trips over itself. Maybe an early turnover or two that sets up good field position, and it's like it'll have to look like I mean, Auburn did a couple weeks ago. I don't know twenty. I mean seventeen seven, seventeen ten, entering a just kind of a slog with the LSU offense sputtering a little bit. But as far as Ole Miss moving the ball consistently on them, I mean, there's only one way for them to move it. And that's through the ground. They've kind of abandoned the modern day forward pass. And so, like, I don't see how you would move the ball in LSU doing that. When you pass, three things can happen. Two of them are bad. I mean, I get it. Always run, never pass. For state, it's a the good other point. way, though. It's, for state, it's the other way. I think for, the state upset lies in the idea that, that, that somehow they can run with Alabama. I don't think state can win a game like, like, or like Ruby was saying, like 17 7. I think Ole Miss State might get an honorary invite to the Army Navy game this year. <laughs> I think if 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 it's a bulldog upset, if we're talking about that on Monday, we're talking about a game that somehow State got out and scored thirty eight forty one points on them. Alabama's defense has been vulnerable. I mean, talk, the, I know it was beginning of John Rice probably, but Ole Miss did move the ball decently well in them yeah. for spurts. And like a full, uh, who's starting at quarterback for State this week? They haven't announced it yet, but based on everything I'm hearing and based on the fact that we talked to Tommy Stevens and we didn't talk to Garrett Schrader, I'm going to bet it's Stevens. Does he have both an upper and lower body? Who, Stevens or, or Schrader? Stevens. Uh, when I talked to him on Tuesday, yes, both of his, uh, all of his appendages seem to be in good, good working order. 
I mean, if he's healthy, they could move the ball and score some points. Like, I, I don't necessarily see them stopping Alabama's receivers, but, like, right. they could move it up and down a bit. Yeah. Forgive me, but this is kind of depressing. I'm having a great time. Well, but, I mean, bigger bigger picture, not not just this game individually. Um, You know, hey, Dad, we know that, and obviously I'm flip-flopping the teams here, but traditionally LSU has dominated Mississippi State. But we're only a couple of years removed or a couple of times in the last handful of years where Mississippi State either gets win and kind of bucks the trend or is really, really good against them and and even gets a win. Mm -hmm. Ole Miss, obviously, in the not too terribly distant past, has a couple of wins against Alabama. LSU's win in Tuscaloosa this past weekend was the first loss that Alabama had suffered at home since Ole Miss beat them in 2015. Ole Miss traditionally has been competitive against LSU regardless of kind of how the teams looked and how they are ranked going in. Yeah, You're a few years removed, same scenario, from Ole Miss going into a game where they were down five defensive starters and in every aspect were outmatched on paper going in and won a game against uh, against um, LSU and Vaughn Hemingway. That was back when Zach Mettenberger was still the quarterback. And you've seen Mississippi State in recent years play Alabama really competitively. Mm-hmm. How have we gotten to this point where when we talk about the game, it's like, <laughs> whatever, not a snowball's chance in hell. Coaching attrition, neither school wanting to have nice things and you know, giving each other wet willies and being put in timeout instead of, you know, actually being competitive for a long stretch. Because now the Egg Bowl, like, no one's watching that. Saints-Falcons. Like, remember when that was nationally relevant? The Egg Bowl? Yeah, I think, ne- yeah. I, th- I think next year will be the last year that's on Thanksgiving. I think they'll, they'll do the return trip to Oxford because that, I think that will balance it out over the decade of, of Thanksgiving Day games for Starville and Oxford. And I think after that it'll be it'll be moved back to Saturdays. But, I mean, look at the history of the two schools. They're more concerned with tattletailing on one another than actually, you know, being relevant in anything. It's y'all's fault. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I think that was an inaccurate statement you made there, hey, Dad. If we're being completely honest here, I know you were joking, but... Um, I I blame you, Richard. All right, so give me a reason to be excited about Saturday. Weather looks solid. It's college football. I mean, we only got three more weekends of the regular season left. You either get excited or just start watching basketball. Auburn, Georgia should be great. Auburn, Georgia should be pretty good. I actually am. What time is that game? 2.30. 2:30. That's the 2.30 game. Get to watch some of that. You watch yeah. the first half, and then I'll watch the second half, and then we'll have a full report on, on Monday. I, I tell you what, I, I'd love to hear from you on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. Is there anything that you're excited about this weekend going into Mississippi State's game against Alabama or Ole Miss's game against LSU? Um, Here's one. Thanks for your positive outlook, Ole Miss analyst. I guess that's directed at you, Rippy. That's my job to be positive, you know. If LSU plays Bama... Uh, if LSU plays like Bama did in the first half, <laughs> Ole Miss has a small chance. That's from John and McComb. 
Larry and Jackson says both need to forfeit. Uh, Amanda in Pike County says even though Bama has dropped to five or six, yes, if Mississippi State wins, it's a bigger upset, but this is a ridiculous question. Uh, somebody says you're wasting your time in talking about these two games. We could always talk about cheese or Black Panther or something, you know. What do you want us Ricky to do? Ricky and Jackson says the fish will be bright biting. There you go. Is it a little cold to fish? Oh, no, it's never too cold to fish. Yeah, fishing's better when it's cold. What? Oh, yeah. Dustin in Cleveland says, I will never pull for Auburn, but I am an Alabama fan. This will be the only time I want I want Auburn to win. Zero confidence in Ole Miss's game plan. That's from Walt. All right. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. All right, Haydad is decidedly against Will Muschamp as a head coach in the SEC. Just thinks he's not good. I'm not putting words in your mouth. Is that correct? I mean, I'm just looking at the math, but sure. Okay. Borky, where do you fall on this one way or the other? Um, Probably somewhere in the middle. I think that the angst is justifiable, but he should at least be given next year. He's gotten... Vote of confidence from the president. Apparently has allies on the board of trustees. I think Ray Tanner said all the right things about his head coach as well. So what is this story, this back and forth about yes or no for Will Muschamp? Uh, well, the uh, the new president or whatever they call it there at South Carolina of the university was uh, doing a sit-down interview with the Greenville News and said this quote, and and then he followed it up with, I could spend $18 million on something better, so why would I fire him? But he did say this. He said, Coach Muschamp is my coach. That's the message. He will be my coach through the end of the season. And then, just like any other coach that's out there, whether it's soccer, whether it's equestrian, they're going to do an end-of-the-year assessment. Then we'll see what's up. But again, he did follow that up with $18 million could be spent much better than firing a coach. But still, that line is what's grabbing headlines for people is, he will be my coach through the end of the season, then we'll see what's up. I mean, he's fine. He won nine games at South Carolina, 11 in a season at Florida. He's he's okay. I don't know what South Carolina people really expect. This would be the first year they missed a bowl, correct? Uh, yes, it will. Here's what they expect. They expect him to be Clemson, and that's not fair, but that's what they expect. That, that's, yeah, the, that's the problem with... I don't expect with, him to be Clemson, though. Uh, I just expect him to, you know... They're trending down. They won nine his second year. What did they win last year? What are they going to win this year? Yeah, they're tr- they're trending down. Probably five this year. They're not beating Clemson at the end, but... I mean, they did... Uh, they've they dealt with a lot. This week, so. uh, they lost Debo Samuel last year. It was an offense that was going to be a work in progress. Then your veteran quarterback gets hurt in the first game. I think South Carolina is in a position that is not entirely different than Ole Miss or Mississippi State. Exact same. You're competing in a league 
that has that 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 has multiple teams where the legitimate expectation is to be in the college football playoff on a pretty regular basis. At Alabama, it's happened every year since the college football playoff was instituted. They've been part of it. LSU, the expectation is to be in the playoff. Not necessarily every year, but on a pretty regular basis. Auburn expects that. Whether or not that should be the expectation, I don't know. Georgia expects it. Florida, I think their fans expect it to happen, even though it hasn't happened yet, and they think they're trending in the right direction. Texas A&M, when they're paying their coach $75 million, expects to get there. They haven't gotten there yet. But after that group of teams, where does that leave Missouri, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Kentucky. Am I leaving? I mean, Vanderbilt, different area, different deal altogether. Shouldn't the expectation be different? Even if you don't like to say that out loud, if you're getting to a bowl game every year, then that's the mark of a healthy football program. And I'm not saying you shouldn't expect your team to win and want your team to win. Want your team and expect your team to be competitive just about every time they step on the field. Maybe that's some of the frustration that goes along with Ole Miss and Mississippi State right now is you've got games, like we were just talking about this weekend, in Oxford and in Starkville, where unless you are the most ardent every pair of underwear in your drawer is maroon or red and blue and you only wear glasses where you can see those colors you don't believe you have a chance going into these games like you can't even write the scenario where if this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens then it could be a really happy Saturday night or a happy Saturday afternoon I think that's a reasonable expectation But I guess my question would be, if you're South Carolina, what the heck is your expectation if you want to get rid of Will Muschamp at this point? Part of the problem is he's the guy that followed the guy. They had their greatest success under the coach that he came after. And so they got a taste of what they could be winning 10 games a year for multiple years, dominating Clemson, and yet they're not doing that anymore immediately after. That's part of the problem here. I think it's a big part of it, right? I mean, like, like you don't want to be the guy following Bear Bryant. You'd rather be Gene Stallings. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Four o'clock hour with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's go to Baton Rouge. Check in with Wilson Alexander, who covers LSU for The Advocate and NOLA.com. Wilson, I guess maybe question number one, such an emotional win last weekend for LSU, getting the Alabama monkey off of its back. Is there any concern at all about a letdown um, from that game last week to this game on Saturday night? 
there's certainly a, a letdown amongst you know the fan base. Uh, or concern about a letdown amongst the fan base. They don't want to see LSU slip up in a game that it can clearly, uh, clearly should win. Um, but it's interesting. Really, LSU all year has just has this composure about it. Um, these players, it's really a player-led team. They're a mature group with a nice mix of young talent. And they understand what's at stake, and they understand what they have the ability to accomplish this season. And it's interesting going to the Alabama game. I mean, it was sort of, you know, PR, but they kept saying, you know, we have bigger games ahead of us. You know, it passed this Alabama game. And they celebrated, like, the huge win that it was. But they also seem to realize that if they don't take care of business, then all the goals that they can accomplish are going to get washed away. And so I think they're focused on Ole Miss. Obviously, it's kind of a personal game for Orgeron. He understands what Ole Miss uh, wants to do in this game, and I don't think that they're going to be slipping up too much this weekend. Yeah, Wilson, I think you make a good point, because if you think about LSU teams from the past, their game against Northwestern State in Week 3 is one in years gone by where they might have gone out and kind of fiddled around in the first half, and it's a 17-14 game, and they end up winning it 35-20. to They didn't do that. They won 65-14. to you could say maybe the same thing with Utah State, where they just kind of went out and took care of business in that game. Why has it been different this year than maybe some of those weird performances that you see in a night game at Tiger Stadium where they just seem to not care in the past? Yeah, it was interesting you mentioned Northwestern State because they did fiddle around a little bit in the first half, and then they absolutely just annihilated Northwestern State in the second half. Hmm. But I think that the two things that are different are, one, obviously this offense and this offensive system is able to score extremely fast. So all of a sudden, LSU can just run up the score. I mean, against Alabama, it scored like two touchdowns within 20 seconds and you know, at the end of the first half. And the second thing is just sort of this aggressive approach that Orgeron has instilled in the team this year and in the play calling. I mean, when they went to go play Texas and they had a lead late in the ball game, instead of trying to grind out you know, the win the last couple of minutes by running the football, they decided, no, we're going to go score a touchdown and try to win this thing. And they've just sort of stuck with that all year where they're going to go out and they're going to try to kick the snot out of you and they're going to put up a lot of points on the board in doing so and so far it's worked is there a game this year where you feel like lsu has not played kind of to its capability not so much nothing comes to mind i don't think that they played that well against mississippi state they said that they didn't play that well against Mississippi State. I mean, they only scored, I think, 36 points, which in years past would have looked like a lot for LSU. <laughs> this year it pales in comparison to some yeah. of those other games when they were putting up 60. Um, so there was that, that that one game they didn't play that great, but they still ended up winning pretty convincingly. I don't think you were there. You covered it. You can tell me if I'm wrong. But I thought the difference on Saturday for LSU was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Obviously, Burrow has a big game. He goes for 393 yards. But Edwards-Hilaire just had that I-want-it-more-than-you-want-it look in the way that he ran in that game. Would you agree that, that to some level he might have been the most important player last Saturday for LSU in that win? I think that you could definitely you could definitely say that and, and, and not be a crazy person. Um Obviously, there was so many important, you know, people in that game for LSU to pull off that victory. But I mean, yeah, Clyde was absolutely huge on one touchdown run. He was going to get tackled in the backfield, but he has this really incredible ability to spin off tackles. Um, his spin move is probably his best move in his arsenal, um, and he just spun off a tackle and started into the end zone. And I think that might have been LSU's final touchdown of the night. Um, he, it's interesting, you know, the way that you describe the way that he runs. He had a quote after the game, and I'm going to be paraphrasing a little bit, but he basically said, 
if you want it enough, like if you want something bad enough, you can will your body to do it. And he has been doubted for quite a long time because of his size. He's not your prototypical LSU running back because he's a little bit shorter, but he runs almost like a pinball. He just bounces off tackles. He's really hard to bring to the ground, and he's extremely versatile, which is um, exactly what LSU wants in this offense. I mean, there's these two freshman running backs here, Tyron Davis-Price and John Emery, who people kept talking about in the offseason, but Clyde's the one who's the the feature back, and for good reason, and he hasn't ceded any really playing time to those two freshmen yet. People have talked about this defense, and I feel like kind of in the second half of the season, they've risen to the occasion, and they've been a defense that makes plays when they need to make plays. Uh, You probably could argue that the defense made some really big plays against Alabama last week, but they give up 41 points. Is that a function of the fact that this is, you know, despite the win for LSU, it's still a really, really dangerous and good Alabama offense? Or... Is there any issue whatsoever on the defensive side? Probably a little bit of both. Uh, Alabama is, I mean, with Tua, Tua was looked really more, a lot more mobile than I think people expected, and he was making plays, and those rece- that receiving core is absolutely incredible. And, I mean, that Alabama offense is really, really good for a reason. I mean, and so, yeah, they yeah. went out and they scored some points in the second half. But LSU defensively this year has been a little bit shaky all year. Um they got a lot better after their first open date um, when they focused on improving their open field tackling. Um, it hasn't been a, much of an issue yet. I mean, they really shut down Auburn defensively. They came out and they shut down Florida in the second half defensively. They've made good second-half adjustments for the most part. I guess aside from the Alabama game, where they actually played better in the first half. But um, I think it was probably a little bit of both in that game where uh, Alabama has a really, really remarkable offense um, that LSU was just able to outscore. Three offensive linemen out for LSU, or at least that's the expectation going into uh, this game Saturday. What kind of an effect does that have on the offense? It's going to be interesting to see. We, we don't fully know. Um, one of the players that's going to be out is left tackle Sadiq Charles. Um, he's coming in and out of the lineup all year because of coaches' decisions. Um, you can make it out what you will. Um, but the interesting one is going to be right tackle Austin Deculus. He's not look, He's pretty questionable for this game. Uh, hasn't practiced yet this week, um, unless he was out there today, but it was a close practice, so we don't know yet. Uh, we'll talk to Orjan in about an hour, and he might say. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because they're going to be using some backups there at both tackle positions, and I don't expect that to throw this offense completely off, you know, off its track, but um, that is maybe a, a question mark coming into the game. Wilson Alexander on your radio covers LSU for The Advocate and NOLA.com. Ole Miss and LSU Saturday night in Oxford, 6 o'clock on ESPN. How fascinated are you, and I know the story's been told a bunch at this point, with kind of the way that Ed Ogeron has reinvented himself, has grown into um, almost a folk hero now at LSU and in the state of Louisiana. Yeah, I, I'm so fascinated by it. It's what I wrote about on Saturday after that Alabama game. I came into the game wanting to write about Ed if they, you know, kind of whether or not they won this game, and and it worked out that they won. And he was such a character after that game. I mean, saying this is our house now. And obviously there was the viral post game, uh, you know, speech that I can't repeat because it, it was a couple expletives in there. But just a couple. You know, it's interesting that you know he had such a bad reputation. Um, as a head coach for so long, I mean, he completely botched that Ole Miss job. Um, 
he was a great recruiter, great motivator. People knew that, but he didn't know how to handle an entire program. And he's learned from that. I mean, he came to LSU with a plan for how he wanted to approach his second job. And he's, you know, he's done that. He's given a lot more freedom to his assistant coaches. He understands that, like, on the offensive side of the ball, he doesn't fully know what he's talking about. It's not his forte. And so he lets his assistants and, you know, Joe Brady and Steve Innsmaker handle that. He'll, you know, give his two cents on how he wants things approached. But, you know, he, he gets out of their way a little bit, does a lot more delegating, and he's um, just done a really good job of relating to these players where they absolutely love him. So it's really, I think, one of the most fascinating stories in college football this year is how Ed has reinvented himself as a coach. Wilson, do you anticipate that Joe Brady will be in Baton Rouge next year? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they're working on contract negotiations. As uh, my colleague Bruce Cabino reported after the game on Saturday, right. um, they're willing to shout money to keep him. Um, it's that's going to be really interesting this offseason. I don't know yet. Could he be ready for a head coaching job already? I don't. I'd be shocked if he was ready for a full-on head coaching job. I mean, just like ten months ago, he was nothing more than like an offensive assistant, like offensive coach's assistant, like in the back of the room at the Saints facility. Um, yeah. He's this is his like first real coaching job, and. I think that I could see him as an offensive coordinator, but to expect him to successfully jump to become a head coach next season I think would be too much to ask. But then again, he surprised a lot of people this year, and he might be ready for it. Yeah, and we're in that that time where people like young, brash, offensive guys, whether it's in college or in the NFL. I think it'll be fascinating to to see that continue to develop. Wilson, appreciate your time this afternoon. Appreciate you and uh, safe travels. Thank you. Y'all have a great day. That's Wilson Alexander. Covers LSU for The Advocate and NOLA.com. Up next, Lee Sterling joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. we get his thoughts on some of the big games this weekend. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. When we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. ParamountSports.com joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out Favorites. And go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. On games that he picked on this radio show last week, Lee went 2-2. Two and two. Got four games to look at today. He's got a game of the week for you. Let's start there, Lee. Tell people about the game of the week and how they can get that one for free. Well, uh, hope it turns out as good as our 50-unit play, biggest of the year. Uh, last uh, Saturday where we had Illinois, I was getting some hate mail, emails, and <laughs> Early in the game? At halftime. It didn't look good. They were down 28-3. Everything was going wrong. But in the second half, everything went right and pulled it out. So looking to stay on that roll. If they want to get my A&M and South Carolina game for free, just call 800-400-9741. We'll help them out. Actually have a 40-unit play. Our 40-50-unit to 50 unit plays our biggest plays. And I've only had 57 going back the last 12 years. And I have one going this Saturday in college football. If they want to hop on board, just 247 for three weeks, and I'm so sure I'm going to knock it down. If the game loses and you come aboard for three weeks, I don't win it. You get the rest of the season through the Super Bowl for free. There you go. It's pretty good. Yep. Uh, pretty good. Be honest with me. Yep. When that game was 28 to three, what was uh, what, what was your state of mind? What was your demeanor at that point? Walked out of the room twice. Missed two series. <laughs> and uh, uh, took a little walk uh, with the dog about halfway up the block. 
came back, and my brother told me, I think we're back in it. <laughs> Got a shot. <laughs> he didn't say we're going to go. to the shot. And uh, did you watch the game? Uh, no, that was going on while I was at the Ole Miss game. Yeah, okay. So uh, I checked I mean, up on you, though. I was following the score. Wrong, went wrong. And, I mean, Lovey Smith probably came about as, as close as uh, you can ever get to getting thrown out of a game. <laughs> as as a head football coach, so he uh, he had about lost it. Uh, they only had one penalty called against uh, Michigan State in the first half when he had, I think, eight. So uh, he was hmm. not a happy, happy camper, but uh, turned out okay. Let's look at some games this weekend. We'll start in the Big 12. Undefeated Baylor hosting an Oklahoma team who all of a sudden has defensive issues again, as in they can't stop many people. Oklahoma, a 10-point favorite on the banks of the Brazos in Waco. What do you think? This game is crazy. This game reminds me a lot of Minnesota. I just think that Baylor's going to come to play. And you watch also Oklahoma. Same time last year, all their, these problems with the defense has happened. You know, they... They just, I think they got too many leaks. They got, they've allowed 89 points in the last two games, and people have figured out how to attack them. The new defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, seems like I'm watching for him to make adjustments and just don't see it. So uh, he was at Ohio State, and before that for three years at Wazoo, and just uh, I, I don't think they have many guys at each level that can make plays, and when they're on the field, eventually uh, teams can get after them like Iowa State did. And I think Charlie Brewer reminds me a lot of Sam Erlinger. He's a dual-threat quarterback. Kid has a lot of heart, completing 67% of his passes for 16 touchdowns. Last year he threw for 400 yards in their game against Oklahoma, and Matt Rule reminds me of P.J. Fleck also. Uh, excitable coach, uh, gets his players to play at a high level. The game's at home. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere. Game day is going to be there. And how about this? Oklahoma, 1-11 against the spread as a road favorite last 12 games. Upset of the weekend, Baylor 45-44. Ooh, high-scoring yep. game as well. Yep. That could be a lot of fun. And the guest pickers on college game day this week, Chip and Joanna Gaines of uh, Ooh, Fixer nice. Upper like Fame. My so wife, there you go. I think my wife will make sure she watches it then. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> tell me I'm crazy here. I love Georgia as a three-point favorite at Auburn. I know there are a lot of people that really like Auburn in this game. Where do you fall? I, I like them a lot, too. And normally, you know, these high-profile games, I didn't touch the LSU-Alabama game. But this hint, hint will be a game that I'm giving to my clients Georgia's defense is just smothering. I've seen a lot of their kids that they're recruiting from down here in South Florida, and they can play. And how about this? They're number one in red zone defense. No rushing TDs allowed. I mean, they played nine games, and no one has run for a touchdown against them. And Jake Fromm plays his best in big games this year against Notre Dame, completed 67% of his passes, Florida 77% of his passes. And last year they outgained Auburn. 522 to 274, and that was with Jarrett Stidham. Nick's is, I mean, Nick's is only thrown for 177 yards. That's the most he's thrown for in the four games against ranked opponents. And, you know, since they had that injury to the best running back for, for Auburn Whitlow, they just have not been the same. I think DeAndre Swift's going to have a big game here. I like Georgia 24 13. 24 13, Georgia over Auburn. 
All right, two games in the state of Mississippi. And the line, I think, has moved a little on this game between Alabama and Mississippi State. I'm looking at 20 and a half well, on your sheet. The reason is Tua is not playing. So Tua is not going to play. I no, think it's 18 right now. Okay. Yep. Um, so Alabama is a favorite 17 and a half to 19, depending on where it finishes. What's your take on this game? I don't think Alabama's near where they were the last couple of years. I mean, they've got some players that will go high in the draft. On defense, their front seven isn't great. I think they have breakdowns in the secondary. I think I think you're going to see State run the ball on them with Hill. I think that uh, they're going to come after Jones, uh, who's going to be subbing for Tua. I think he's good, but I don't think he's great. Uh, when you come off a bye, you can draw up some pretty good, elaborate blitz schemes, and I think they're going to throw it at them, and they play their best ball as a home dog here. Four and one against the spread the last five as a home dog. So this isn't a three game or a five game series. It's one game. I think Alabama's going to win 31 21, but I think think State's going to be right in this game till the end. So 31 21, Bama winning it, but Mississippi State covering with relative ease. Um, Three touchdown favorite. In that range, most places now. Okay. Uh, LSU three-touchdown favorite in Oxford on Saturday night. LSU coming off the big emotional win against Alabama last week. Uh, Ole Miss beat New Mexico State. Not that that has any relevance in this one. Um, (laughs) How big is it? Well, I think that you're eventually going to see LSU have a game where they go through the motions, and this might be that game. Ole Miss, I know they're 2-4 straight up the last six games, but they're 5-1 against the spread the last six games. I mean, against A&M, that... Fumble return for 62 yards was the difference, or else you know they might be sitting at six and zero and and three and three straight up. So I, I think they're playing better. I think their defense is getting off the field some, and that's important. Uh, so I think Plumlee will have some success. I think they'll maybe throw in a few different counters and and options and a couple new plays here. And uh, I think LSU is like I said. I, I think they're I think they're by far maybe the best team in the country right now, but every team has a down game. And I think Ole Miss, uh, like I said, is going to have some success running the football. And I don't think this LSU defense is special. I think the offense is, but not the defense. Series underdog also, 15-7, and seven, last 22 in this series here. LSU wins 42-26, but Ole Miss covers. 42-26. So he's got Baylor 45-44 uh, winning outright against Oklahoma. Georgia covering against Auburn 24-13, Mississippi State covering but Alabama winning 31-21 and LSU winning 42-26 but Ole Miss covering the 21-point spread. Uh give me one off the radar game that you like, whether it's college or the NFL that uh, that folks might be interested in. I think this game's a blowout. I think Michigan's going to blow out Michigan State. I just think there's so many problems when you watch Michigan State uh, injuries. They lost their best linebacker, and he's done for the year. No running game. All the outside distractions now with D'Antonio. Um, they're two and twelve the last fourteen. I mean, uh, you know, they might be sitting at about five hundred, but Michigan State right now is a bad team, and Michigan's coming off the bye. I think Jim Harbaugh is going to run it up here. You want to get on this game early. It's a 13-and-a-half right now. I think it's going to close at close to 15 or 16. Mm. I think Michigan wins this game something like 42-10. to 10. I mean, Michigan State, what do they have to play for after this game? Rutgers, Maryland, and then it's off to the quick lane, Jiffy Lou Bowl in Detroit. So <laughs> Michigan's going to do a number on them, I think, this Saturday. 
This could be a uh, fairly unceremonious ending for uh, Mike D'Antonio when it's all said and done. Yeah, interesting too bad. stuff. I mean, gets for a lot of years got the most out of his talent, but uh, usually when it ends, it's not pretty. Yep, that's a good point. ParamountSports.com. You can get uh, a bunch of video breakdowns of games that are happening this weekend. Also, all the specials that Lee has to offer, including that uh, what was it, two hundred forty-seven dollars? You said for for three weeks through Monday, December second. So uh, feel pretty good about it. And boy, it's, it's crazy. You got to check the weather. I mean, I feel bad for for what. It's, it's almost painful to watch these MAC games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That 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 snowstorm that they got in Akron. I mean, those kids for Akron, they just did not want to play in that game. Cold, cold, yeah. cold. Not where Lee is. He's in South Florida. No, Thank you, my friend. It's going to be 65 tomorrow night. You, good for you. You enjoy that. <laughs> Lee Sterling for Paramount Sports. We'll take a quick timeout. Be back with you after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday afternoon. A little bit better slate of games this weekend, and it should be, right? I mean, we're in the third weekend of November, so just looking at top 25 games. Alabama-Mississippi State is the earliest one to kick off the highest-ranked team. Indiana at Penn State, back at Penn State. Penn State coming off of the loss. They are 8-1 and one on the year. How about Tom Allen's Indiana Hoosiers? Seven and two on the season. They are once again without their starting quarterback in uh, was it Michael Penix, the young guy that's so good. Penn State fourteen and a half point favorite in this. This is a big bounce back game for Penn State. Anybody? It it should be. I don't know that they weren't a, a, a tad bit exposed uh, against uh, Minnesota though. Or maybe Minnesota's just really good. Maybe. Could be. Florida at Missouri, I still say that's kind of a fishy line. 11 a.m. game, part of a doubleheader on CBS. Florida is a six-and-a-half-point favorite at Missouri. What are we doing with this one? This is the Gators in a snoozer, right? It should be, but you're right that the line is a little. Eh. Wisconsin is a 14 point favorite at Nebraska. You just heard Lee talk a second ago about Michigan State, Michigan. I, I think he's kind of on the money on this one. Feels like Michigan's playing better, or they have been playing better. Michigan quietly has gotten to 7 and 2. They do this every year. Kind of get it rolling and then. They have some catastrophic loss early, beat a bunch of bad teams, and at the end of the year lose embarrassing fashion to Ohio State. Prince and repeat. So if you're looking to bet, bet Michigan this one? Yeah. They had the really close win against Army that raised a bunch of eyebrows. Then they got trounced by Wisconsin on the road in week three. They beat Rutgers, but Rutgers doesn't have a pulse. They looked very average against Iowa, but won a low-scoring game. Beat Illinois, which is turning into a pretty good win. And then everybody talks about how they turned it around against Penn State in the second half. They came up short in that game, but that's when they kind of got it going a little bit. Smoked Notre Dame. No trouble with Maryland. Now it's Michigan State, a rivalry game at Indiana and then Ohio State. Michigan's going 9-3, and three, right? It that seems like Brent? that, but, you know. Yeah. 
I will never uh, completely buy into Harbaugh and Patterson. Kansas is that Oklahoma? Well, I mean, even if you don't buy into them, you can say, okay, Patterson's a good quarterback, but not a great quarterback. And obviously, Jim Harbaugh's won a bunch of games. He just hasn't won a bunch of big games. Well, yeah, Navy but... at Notre Dame. You guys see the story surrounding this game? That's not a sellout. Notre Dame's sellout streak of 273 consecutive games going back to a season sometimes in the 70s. It's the second longest sellout streak in all of college football behind, any guesses? Michigan. Nope. Longest active sellout streak in college football. Ohio, Ohio State. State. No. Nebraska. Nebraska. 373. Notre Dame streak is going to come to an end this week despite a top 25 matchup with Navy. Notre Dame only a seven and a half point favorite in that game. Borky, have you seen the number on Ohio State Rutgers? Uh, it's in the 50s, isn't it? 52. Yeah, I saw somebody uh, somebody joke that uh, the NCAA is actually um, conducting a safety suspension because letting Chase Young play in this game would actually put college football <laughs> players in harm's way. <laughs> Maybe so. Does Ohio State score 70 for the second consecutive week? They might even touch 80. I mean, the talent disparity between the two on top of like even just handing the football off, Rutgers will not stop them even if it's their has, walk-ons in the game. Has there been a 1A versus 1A or FBS versus FBS game get to 80 since SMU Houston back in the day? Anybody gotten to 80? I don't know, hey, Dad. I remember Oklahoma beat A&M 77 to nothing a few years back. I don't, it didn't I don't go remember over to the college station. No, it didn't. They, they left the conference soon after. Georgia Southern did it in 2014. Who'd they beat? Let's see. They were the fifth team, so they did it in 2014. Oklahoma State did it in 2012 over Savannah State. Georgia Southern did it in that's, 2014 that's, that's FCS, over Savannah State. Uh, Wisconsin scored 80 uh, against Indiana in 2010. 83-20 was the final. Really? Did they really? Yeah, that's right. How about a Wisconsin <laughs> offense in 2010 putting 83 on the board? 80, did you say 80 or 83? 83-20 was the final. Well, well, would that be 70 on someone during the freeze era in 15? It was Fresno State, wasn't it? Either them or UT Martin. I don't remember which one. I think one. they did it in consecutive weeks. Well, UT Martin would be FCS. Yeah. Yeah, that was Brett Bielema, wasn't it? Yeah, 2010 would have been, yeah. They did. Ole Miss beat Fresno State 73-21, so that is that is one for 70. That Wisconsin one's incredible. 83 points. Jeez Louise. Ole Miss did put up 70 in back-to-back weeks. 76-3 and 73-21 to open the 2015 season. Offense looked a little bit different then than it does now. Yeah, they passed. Well, they also had 
older veteran quarterbacks. Was that Chad Kelly? That was Chad Kelly. Auburn, Georgia, South's oldest rivalry. It's the second game of the doubleheader on CBS. Georgia's eight and one, and now all of a sudden, everything in the world to play for. Why does Georgia have twelve rivals? Georgia Tech, Florida, Auburn, Tennessee. Ah, that doesn't have a name to it, though. Boy, Georgia people hate Tennessee fans, though. They do, but I mean, Mississippi State people hate LSU, but that's not a, a named rivalry. You have to have a name for it to be a rivalry. I mean, the Magnolia yes. Bowl is named the Magnolia Bowl in like oh, what two thousand twelve? Yeah, yeah. I'm saying I'm saying for it to be considered a real rivalry, I got to have a wiki page with a nickname on it. Fair enough. They might call it the hobnail boot game. Well, then Florida Georgia's not a rivalry anymore. It got stripped of its title. Yeah, it's still the cocktail. I don't recognize that. Memphis is at Houston. Memphis rocking along at 8-1, and one, trying to stay in contention for being the highest-ranked group of five team and get one of those access bowl bids. Texas at Iowa State. How about this? Texas is 6-3, and three, ranked 19th in the college football playoff poll. Iowa State is 5-4 and four and unranked. And yet, Iowa State at home in Ames is a seven-point favorite. No respect for the Longhorns from Vegas. The athletic directors have been having a lot of fun with each other on this one, too. They have. Some uh, Twitter videos back and forth. West Virginia at number 24, Kansas State. West Virginia got trounced last week. Who was that by? They lost Texas, Texas Tech. Tech to Texas Tech, thirty-eight seventeen. Yeah. Um, we've seen State. The, we've seen enough in year one of Neil Brown to make us feel confident that program is going to be in the going in the right direction. Yep. You think so? Okay. Yes. Kansas State lost a close one last week to Texas, 27-24. Minnesota is at Iowa. This is one middle of the afternoon on Fox, 3 o'clock kickoff. Number 8 Minnesota undefeated, jumped nine spots in the college football playoff poll after their win against Penn State last week. Iowa 6-3, and three, playing at Kinnick Stadium, difficult spot to play. Iowa a favorite in the game. Iowa, three-point favorite. I think Minnesota keeps it rolling here. I hope so, just for the content fodder, if nothing else. (laughs) Oklahoma-Baylor's at 630. That's a top-15 matchup in Waco. Oklahoma now an 11-point favorite. That line has moved a little bit more. UCLA is at Utah. Utah, 21.5-point favorite. Boise State's a 28-point favorite at home against New Mexico. And then with a 9.30 Central time kickoff on ESPN from Outson Stadium in Eugene, number 6 Oregon, 8-1 on the year, 27.5-point favorite against Arizona. Kevin Sumlin's team, 4-5 on the year. Kind of a weird year for Arizona. They lost to Hawaii. Then they won four in a row. 
but now they have lost four in a row to Washington, Southern Cal, Stanford, and Oregon State, and their defense has been abysmal. They've given up 56, 41, 41, and 51 in their last four games. Yikes. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm, wrapping up this 4 o'clock hour. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Don't forget you can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. It is time for the Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day. Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. You guys like this NFL matchup tonight? Pittsburgh at Cleveland? It's kind of yuck, isn't it? Can't stand it. Five and four Pittsburgh. The Browns are three and six. And Cleveland with the now handlebarless, mustached. Baker Mayfield is a favorite at home tonight. The last six Browns coaches have been fired after a loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Would they cut Freddie Kitchens this soon? Probably after the second loss to the Steelers. Because <laughs> they haven't played yet. So it'll, is Greg Williams available? <laughs> I mean... Talk about a bad decision. I mean, they hired Baker's buddy, basically. Uh, just hindsight's always twenty twenty, but uh, clearly a guy that was not prepared to be an NFL head coach, and it's showing not only just because they're not winning games, but how they're losing games. Yeah. For example, when you're going for it on fourth and eleven, and you don't want to use a timeout, you take. A fault. Your you tell your punt team to take a false start penalty to make it fourth and sixteen to trot your offense back on the field to go for it. Mm. Yeah. Hey, hey, Borky. You know, yesterday where I said, "Hey, Bowling Green's getting seventeen and a half. It's action. It's a rivalry game. Let's take those points." Did it work? Bad idea. Miami of Ohio, forty-four to three yesterday over Bowling Green. Whoop. Well, here's another bad idea. Uh, completely homer pick, but it actually does have some have some backing to it. New Orleans is a three-and-a-half-point underdog tonight with the Clippers coming to town. Uh, L.A. was in Houston last night, so it's the back end of a half-and-half, or a back-to-back with no Kawhi, no Pat Beverly, and Paul George in his first game back on a minutes restriction. Getting three-and-a-half points at home with all of that against you, I would take it. Have you uh, have you watched the Pelicans this year? <laughs> Every game. Their injury report is depressing. But, um, I mean, they're really close. They, they have been in, down the stretch every game. It's just a young team that hasn't quite figured out how to win. They're 2-8. and eight. <laughs> Well, you can just look at the record, and I can tell you how the actual games went. Hey. I've been kind of watching the scores, though, and it's like you keep looking at them and go, oh, Pelicans lost again. Yeah, yeah they're coming back. If you're waiting on Ball and Hart and Ingram to learn how to win, well, 
Again, Brandon Ingram amount of time. is you like... You don't really know anything about an NBA team until at least the quarter mark of the season, though. Christmas? I agree with that. Yeah, Christmas is about the quarter. It's a 20, Christmas. 25 game you mark is when you really actually figure out what an NBA team is. Because that year that the New Orleans went to the playoffs under Anthony Davis and beat the hell out of the Portland Trailblazers, they started off, I think, almost as bad or worse than this. All right, Borky, I'll let you make the call. If that's what you want the Pearl River Resort pick of the day to be... I, that it is all yours. I think I'm going to go with it. Um, uh, New Orleans plus the three and a half at home. Uh, even though their injury report is, I mean, again, it's just depressing. But yeah. Hey Dad over all here I keeps ripping you better, on. You better pull those socks out of your drawer. <laughs> hey Dad keeps ripping on Brandon Ingram. Like, he's been phenomenal. I, I mean, just his game, uh, shooting and finishing at the rim and defending. I mean, he has been, this is his best year by a long shot as a pro, but I mean, congrats, the Lakers gave him away, but now Anthony, frail Anthony Davis is hurt again and he's sidelined and then he's going to go to Chicago next year. Maybe would have been better off keeping a guy like Ingram around. Yeah, I'm not too terribly worried. Just call me crazy. You may have saved me from myself. I was planning on laying the four points with Pittsburgh tonight against North Carolina in college football action. Got to bet against Longo? That's risky. Well, it's it's more playing Pittsburgh one way or the other. It's like same. if you if you play against Pittsburgh, they burn you, and if you take Pittsburgh, they burn you. Which one is why I said maybe Borky was saving me from myself. I was going to take the Pitt Panthers laying the four at home against four and five North Carolina, but instead, just the a Pearl little River resort pick of the day is uh, Borky's New Orleans Pelicans getting three and a half tonight against a um, underutilized roster for the Clippers. You know Montrez Harrell is about to drop like 47 and they'll win by four just because. Well, Paul George will be the big scorer tonight. You make your bed, you got to sleep in it, Borky. Yeah, I don't do much of that anyway, so whatever. Sports Talk Mississippi, two hours in the books. Five o'clock hour is next. That means the college football fix driven by Ford when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Thursday afternoon with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Thanks for being with us. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Still, they've got some 2019 F-150s on the lots. Getting a little harder to find. But there is great savings and great financing incentives if you can find one. You can start your search online at buyfordnow.com then go to your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive one today. All right, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it has apparently become official. A couple of wide receivers are planning to transfer away from Ole Miss. Redshirt freshman Miles Battle and Demarcus Gregory are no longer practicing with the team and are likely to enter the transfer portal. 
two have played sparingly this year. Battle has two catches for 20 yards. Gregory has six catches for 127 through 10 games. Gregory missed all of last year with a knee injury, while Miles Battle played in four games with a couple of catches last season, but he stayed under the playing in more than four games threshold, so he was able to redshirt. What did Matt Luke have to say about it yesterday? Really not a whole lot, other than that he talked both of them. Neither one of them were practicing. It was about playing time and that they're entering the transfer portal. What is the... Or likely to, excuse me. What is the process for entering the transfer portal? Like, do they give you some super secret password and you have to go into the matrix and punch in a code and then you're in? Retina scan? I don't know. Blood test? Magic crystals? I have no idea. It is kind of crazy because haven't some media members gotten access to it and then... Um, didn't get their access pulled because it wasn't given to them, but like, however they were getting it, like passwords changed and stuff. Like, like we can't just go in and look and see who's in there. Yeah, it's like junior high kids with LimeWire, illegal. Yeah, there's some kind of secret security code that gets you in so the coaches can see it, but like us, we can't go in and see it. But some media guys have gotten Either. access, and then that got changed really, really quickly. Who was it, Matt Zenitz in, at AL.com that was... Like on top of these early, uh, Cole, friend of the show, Cole Kublik was too. Either way, they're transferring. It's not a real portal. I understand. But, well, it's a but website. you don't have to. You don't technically have to notify your current team, do you? I mean, obviously, if you appear in the transfer portal, they know. You probably do, though, because isn't it? And correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it when you put your name in the portal, you can then be recruited? or contacted, anyway, by other schools. I I think so. Matt Luke quoted yesterday, I do not know if they have officially entered the portal. I have talked to both of them about playing time, and it is likely they will enter the portal. Again, it comes down to playing time. They're both good kids, and I wish them the best. Talking about Miles Battle and Demarcus Gregory, who are leaving Ole Miss after their redshirt freshman seasons. Um... I am curious about this. What what do you think the advantage is to putting your name in the portal now versus waiting three more weeks? I mean, you got to finish classes. I would presume to be eligible. Got to finish the semester. Just getting a head start on looking at other places and talking to other schools. It's the only thing I can really think of. They're, just tired they're of also, football practice. Yeah, there might be an element of I really don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. So just get me out, and this is the way I can get out. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not like you're leaving Oxford. You, you, you're you just going to not be – Yeah, your, your schedule changes. you got a whole lot more free time. If you're not happy about something, I mean, I guess just cutting it off is a, a nice relief. Like, if you know something's over, just end it. Like, if you're in a relationship with somebody you don't want to be with, don't drag it out until summer vacation. You know, just end it now, even if – it gets awkward with your friends for a few weeks. Just end yeah, it. I suppose so. Um, certainly maybe on to, uh, on to something there. Borky, I don't know if we should do this tomorrow or not. A buddy of mine said, it's the week of the Ole Miss LSU game. You have to play the clip of the Billy Cannon run. I'd rather play Chris Vernon's Coach O song. Why? Because it's funny. 
Well, okay, we can do that too if you really want to. Maybe that can uh, work its way into Fight Song Friday that I've oh. nailed all year. <laughs> you might actually be able to uh, pick that one. The thing about you not nailing Fight Song Friday is I've only got 15 in the system. It's the same 15 every single week, <laughs> and you still can't ones. get them. Oh, that's not true. There's been like a Miami and a Memphis or something thrown in. No Miami. Here, I can I can read them to you if you want to know what all 15 no, no, I've don't, gotten don't, here. Don't, don't give him the study sheet. But how do you not have the study sheet by now? Just, just well, I mean, by... even when you have the answers, you got to miss a couple to throw off the people thinking you have the answer sheet. So Tomorrow on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with hit songwriter L. Russell Brown, who has written hit songs for the likes of Tony Orlando. <laughs> Rippy, what are you doing, man? Nothing. You just lost it. We're all good over here. He's written songs for the likes of Tony Orlando, The Partridge Family, Frank Sinatra, The Four Seasons, and many more. That is quite the list of performers. That's in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 on most Super Talk Mississippi stations and on demand at supertalk.fm. And, of course, available where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, tomorrow, a little uh, dual remote as Sports Talk Mississippi will be split. Rippy and I will be here in Oxford at Cowboy Maloney's Home Store. And Borky and Haydad will be at Cowboy Maloney's Home Store in Columbus. Black Friday Savings on electronics, furniture, and appliances. Rippy might buy a TV while he's there tomorrow. Sports Talk Mississippi at Cowboy Maloney's in Columbus and in Oxford. So check that uh, check that out tomorrow. If you're in the area, come by and see us. Love to uh, love to say hi if you are around. And uh, Hey Dad and Borky would love to say hi to you if you uh, happen to be in the Golden Triangle area as uh, as well. Hoops tomorrow night for Ole Miss. You know much about Western Michigan? They're the Broncos. That's good. It's good. Get the mascot right. Should be a pretty significant crowd, though, right? Yeah, I would think so. I was a little surprised that the crowd was small on Tuesday night. See, I don't know what. They announced 6,000-something, but, I mean, they were probably... 3,500 people there. I was going to ask you guys about that. Because even though in a 9,000-seat arena, 3,500 people is not a great crowd, but still, that I mean, that was Tuesday night against Norfolk State, Norfolk State in November. And at least watching the stream, great call, by the way. Um, Thanks. If nothing else, the student crowd was pretty good considering it was a Tuesday night in November against Norfolk State. And... That's the the most impressive thing to me, and it started really with the pavilion, but with the culture change that Kermit Davis has brought on from the student perspective, because it wasn't long ago when Ole Miss was playing Auburn at home, and I was a freshman at the school, or a sophomore, and 15 minutes before tip-off, we walked into the arena and onto the second row of the student section. And the the front row of the student section uh, was tiny compared to the one they've got now. Like, the making of basketball to be an event for students to go to, to be seen and, and like, socialize, that's, like, a cool thing to do there, is pretty remarkable. Because that just doesn't really happen overnight, but it did there. Like, they've created a culture of care among the students for basketball, and that has not existed for a very long time. 
Western Michigan 3-0, McNeese State victory, beat Milwaukee in three overtimes, beat Valley by three, beat Kalamazoo College, whose mascot appears to be some sort of bug uh, in an exhibition. <laughs> but Mississippi Valley, they only won by 10. And wasn't Valley the one that got housed by like 80, 90 points the other night by somebody? Did you see this final? I did not see that final. Um, Borgie, I think your point's a good one. And it's something that Kermit Davis has kind of embraced since he got the job. He spent a lot of time trying to convince students to be there, and they've had some events away from basketball season that were student-centric to try and kind of get them invested in the program. And it seems to be working. And they're winning games at home and making it a fun environment. But I think where you started, though, people did not look forward to going to Tad Smith Coliseum. They went because that's where Ole Miss was playing basketball. The Pavilion's a cool place to go and hang out. And they've done a really nice job with it and have created a pretty good home court advantage. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We are back after this. Sit tight. Sports Talk Mississippi back with you. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That's Mississippi Farm Bureau. Aaron Suttles, co-host of Three Man Front on WJOX in Birmingham and also writes at The Athletic, and I'm sure he does lots of other really cool things. Hey, Aaron. Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm uh, I'm surviving here in post-apocalyptic Alabama in a world where Alabama's not in the top four of the college football playoffs. So we're, we're making it. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the most popular question this week, or the least popular question, is: Is Tua going to play? You know, I don't, um, I don't know definitively one way or the other. But uh, based on my observations and some people I've talked to, I, at this point, I, I don't think he plays. Um, but I don't, not making anything, not making any declarative statement because these things are so sort of fluid, but uh, reading the tea leaves on this thing, I I don't expect him to play. I don't think Vegas expects him to play. I I don't think this line moves four points from where it opened if if they think he's going to play. I agree. And it it looked like a strange line, and um, that certainly looks like the way this thing is going to go. And the fact that Nick Saban last night calls him a game-time decision and says Wednesday's really the first day he hasn't had any soreness in the ankle? You got to you got to question how much he's been able to do up until this point, and I just can't imagine they're going to throw him out there. So, um, if I was a if I was a betting man, I, I would tend to think that it's going to be Mac Jones. All right, Aaron. So we saw Mac Jones against Arkansas, and he was fine. Mississippi State's better than Arkansas, but they're not world beaters. What does this Alabama offense look like with Mac Jones at quarterback against a team like Mississippi State? It's more of a sort of think of uh, maybe A.J. McCarron early in his career, a facilitator, a guy that's going to get you in the right place, not going to make a, a bunch of dumb mistakes. He's going to take what the defense gives him. And, um, you know, and, and that's good enough when you have the weapons around you like Alabama has. Just get it to one of those receivers. You know, expect maybe even more some jet sweeps, some wide receiver screens, some very easy passes to get him to the flow of the game. And then, as the game sort of plays on and he gets his feet underneath him, and then you start calling more of the offense. But um, especially with the way the offensive line has been playing, the way we saw Najee Harris really come on against LSU and the way he's been playing, 
he can lean on that running game a little bit too. So um, it, it, they're not going to ask him to do a whole lot. At one point, maybe even before the season began, or if, if it was not, it was early in the season, I kind of pulled up Alabama's too deep and started going through and looking at seniors, juniors, draft-eligible sophomores, and the flip that this roster is going to have a year from now. And I know that it's not the first time that a bunch of guys get drafted or you know whatever. That's kind of what Nick Saban has done over and over and over. But is the turnover after this season to next season going to be even more drastic than it has been in recent years? I don't know. I think we notice it more maybe this time around because we notice offense more. I mean, Alabama has been putting a lot of defensive guys in the in the league for a long time, and right. we just don't notice defend, defenders as much as we notice offense because offense is highlight package. Offense, we see Tua throwing the ball. We see Jerry Judy catching it. We see all that, so um, I tend to think. Listen, it's a it's going to be a huge turnover, but a lot of it's on the offensive side of the ball, right? We expect Tua to leave. Najee Harris could possibly leave. We expect Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, maybe even Devonta Smith. You get to the left tackle, Alex Leatherwood, maybe Jedrick Wills at right tackle. So, I mean, that's a lot from gone from one side of the ball, and not just average players. I'm talking great players. So. Uh, it'll be certainly more noticeable um, because it's offense, I think. So for, for all of those teams and all of those fans that aren't fans of Alabama, everybody knows how Nick Saban and this staff have recruited, and it's just five-star after, you know, whatever, blue-chip ratio. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Is next year a year where potentially the program takes a step back? Uh, potentially, sure. Um, the, the problem with that is I'm, I get very hesitant and try to predict because throughout this run it, it, with Nick Saban, I've, I've made that prediction several times that you know they've lost too much and they're going to take a step back. So I think what maybe makes this this a little different too is that the SEC is caught up a little bit. Yeah. The fact that LSU is pretty good, the fact that Georgia is doing what it's doing. And, and Auburn's sort of a roller coaster ride. Some teams in the SEC have caught up, sort of narrowing that gap between Alabama and themselves. But you know, I, I hesitate to predict what a freshman's going to do. But they got a they got a kid from California coming in playing quarterback who who's lighting it up. So I'm not saying he's going to be the next Tua, and he certainly is not <laughs> going to have the wide receivers if, the, if those guys go pro. But I tend to think. Alabama will be in the mix, but it won't be as clear-cut as it's been in the past. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Certainly so. Aaron Suttles from uh, Three Man Front on Jocks in Birmingham and also uh, covers Alabama for The Athletic on your radio, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. When you look at this game against Mississippi State, what's important from an Alabama perspective? I think one is they got to get better. Uh, they they were um, in the ninth game of the season. They they're still making mistakes that the team usually makes early on in the season. I think it's served as a source of frustration throughout the year for Nick Saban, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that they just can't seem to do the little things right consistently. And one guy messes up one play, and then he'll do things right the next play, but then another guy messes up, and there's just this sort of almost like a relay race of mistakes being made. That's it's really hampered the, the, the defense, at least, development 
but from a bigger picture, I think they got to. I think they have to control this game. Um, I think right now five is the ceiling in terms of where they are in the college football playoff ranking. I don't think, you know, if they even went Georgia Tech Cumberland against Mississippi State and it was two hundred twenty-two to nothing, which we all know is never going to happen. <laughs> I don't think it would help Alabama. I, I don't think you could name a score that would help Alabama move into the top four without help from someone else. Meaning, you know, if Auburn beats Georgia, certainly that there's some mobility. But I do think Alabama can lose spots if they look sloppy versus Mississippi State. If they don't look like a team that's dominant, it could change their ranking. So I think the best case scenario for Alabama is just improve and, and sort of, uh, you know, talk to the committee through their play saying this is the team that you have number three in the first ranking to number five. I know we don't have a dominant win, but just watch us play. We, we dominate who we play. Is there a road back into the top four without chaos? Uh, it's a great question. I, I tend to think there is because, I, listen, the, the team that's right behind Alabama is Oregon. And Oregon lost to Auburn. And then Alabama's going to have a chance to play Auburn. So they'll be able to use that head-to-head. I don't know how much the committee values the Big 12 with where they have Oklahoma and Baylor ranked right now. And those two teams could play twice. Um, obviously, once in the regular season and maybe once in the Big 12 championship game. I think it, what, what it'll probably come down to is is Georgia. You know, if Georgia loses to Auburn, that's certainly good for Alabama. But if Georgia wins out, and gets to the SEC championship game and beats LSU, Alabama's got no pass to to, to the college football playoff because that means LSU's going to go as a one-loss runner-up in the SEC with an outstanding resume, and Georgia will go as a one-loss champion. So they need some help in the SEC, but around them, you know, these these things tend to work out as long as, you know, there's not craziness happens like a Minnesota beating Ohio State in the big – 10 championship game sure. and Ohio State only has one loss, Minnesota's unbeaten. That's a scenario where two Big Ten teams get in. So I wouldn't call it chaos, but they certainly need help. So, so Alabama at this point really needs LSU to run the table all the way through. Yeah. And they need Ohio State to run the table, and they need Clemson to run the table. And then they need the committee to value a one loss Alabama that doesn't play in the SEC championship game more than a one-loss Pac-12 champion? Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, if it's Utah, it gets tricky. Um, with Oregon, you, you you would at least have the, the benefit of the argument, well, Oregon lost to Auburn, Alabama in this scenario would have beaten Auburn. So there's that. But you know, it's going to be tough. I mean, there's going to be um, going to be debate regardless and controversy if Alabama gets in, but... This may be the year that they, they're on the outside looking in. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Aaron, really appreciate your time, man. It's been uh, it's been a while since we've talked, and appreciate you stopping by. Not a problem. Take care. Aaron Suttles, co-host with um, Landon Roberts and Cole Kublik on Three Man Front, covers Alabama for The Athletic as well. A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. media production.